We are in Romans 5, continuing on to, to look at uh, that question that we will look at in a moment. It says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Amazing, lofty words you gave to us through the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. Thank you that we can freely read them today and we want to do more than just read these we want to get it we want to we want to grasp this we want to experience this and we can't do that in our own intellect we need your spirit to be our teacher and our comforter and so we ask for that in Jesus Precious name. Amen. Now, last week I introduced uh, uh, the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, for those of you that are visiting with us, uh, that's not one of our official standards, uh, and yet we see it as a, a, a great tool, a good summary of parts of Scripture, and so on. And so we're looking at uh, the first question. A catechism is uh, a, a tool to teach. That's what it means to catechize, to teach. And so uh, the form of <clears throat> religious or Christian catechisms would be to ask a question and then to answer it. And so, uh, you know, you, this is the answer you want to get to. So you ask the right question, reverse jeopardy kind of in, in that. And the question that they ask as they began their catechism 
is what is your only comfort in life and death? What a question. It's right on. It's what we need, whether we know that's our greatest need or not, to know where, where, where is my comfort? Is there comfort in life and death? And by the way, I hope you, as we read through it today, I hope you notice what next week is. Because that talks about God's providence and in how not even a hair on my head will be harmed. And we're going to deal with all of those questions that surround uh, how can God be in control and be a good God. But that's for next week. The, the first week, last week, in, in the first part of the answer to what is your only comfort in life and death, that I'm not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what we looked at. Why is it comforting for us to say, I'm not my own? We spent the whole time on that. We're not going to go back and review that. But take comfort that He's the one that's in control. And so therefore, we belong to Him. We are of great value to Him. And that's why He will take care of us. We're not, we're not that rental car that can be thrown away and abused. But we are a precious possession of His. And that ought to bring us comfort. But then last week it, it used that phrase, my faithful Savior, and I promised that this week we would be expanding on that because it is, after all, one answer, and I've kind of artificially divided it up according to the sentences. The, the phrase, my faithful Savior, is explained in the next phrase of the answer, which is what we look at today. He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. So why is He called a faithful Savior? Because of that. Because He paid. So what was left unpaid? It talks about him paying for all my sins. And, and that, that begs the, the question, well, what, what sins were left unpaid? Why, why was it necessary for him? And by the way, in, in this first answer is the gospel itself, is the good news itself. So basically, and, and we're going to do some theology today, so just put on your seatbelts. And I promised you that in, in this uh, uh, question, we have theology touching life, as it always does. But we have theological answers saying why we should take comfort. And, and that's where uh, the wonderful doctrines of the faith touch us in life and in death as well.
So there are two, two things that are unpaid. Original sin and actual sin. That's what was unpaid and needed to be paid. Let's start with original sin. Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men. That's taking us back to Genesis. Taking us back to the garden where we have Adam and Eve. Adam was our representative. He was the representative of all of those that would come after him. All of his posterity, all of his children and their children and so on, which basically turns out to be all of us. We're all related to him. So he's our representative. And it was his actions that determines all of our nature. And we call that original sin. He chose to sin. There in the, the opportunity that he had in complete freedom, he wasn't, he, unlike the rest of us, he wasn't born in sin, with a sin nature. He was in perfect communion with God. And when given the opportunity, instead of that perfect communion, he chose to sin. And he stood as our representative. It gave us all that natural propensity to sin because it's our nature. So that's left unpaid because we can't pay for what Adam did. Now, let me jump in here quickly because it, it might be some of our tendency to say, well, that's not fair. Why does he get to be our representative and make that big choice for me and for all of us so that we're stuck being born with a, a sinful nature. Well, there's two things you need to think concerning that. If, you're, you know, if that went through your head and you say, well, that's not fair. You know, the implication is it's not fair because if I had been there, Right? I mean, otherwise, what, what do you care whether, you know, if it, if it would have ended up the same way? So the implication is you're thinking you would have done better than Adam had you had that same choice. Well, I would just say, and you probably already know this, you're just kidding yourself if you think that. <laughs> but the other thing that I think even even uh, overshadows that, because all that's theoretical, is if you think it's not fair to have a representative in the Garden of Eden, the follow-up question to that is, is it fair to have a representative on the cross at Calvary? 
Because that's, that's the other side of the way God works. God works through representatives. Why he does, I don't know. But we can see that, obviously, from the very beginning in the garden and all the way through, we see that he has kings that represent his people. He has prophets. He has priests. And then he has the prophet, priest, and king that are all fulfilled in Christ who then represents his people on the cross. And that's all by grace. Not because it's fair, not because we deserve it, but only because God chose to be gracious to us. So, Adam chose sin, Eve followed, and so we are born that way. But that's not all. We don't just have some kind of a natural propensity or leaning towards it, but we actually follow through, and that's what in theology we call actual sin. Romans 5, 12, the last part. I'll read the first part again. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Earlier in Romans, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So everyone is not only born in sin, we live consistent with our sin nature by actually following through on sin and sinning ourselves. Now, parents, you know you did not have to teach those little sinners that are in your house. You didn't have to teach them how to sin, did you? You know, any, anyone that has seen a child, they see how quickly, and, and it's okay, you can call them, you little child of Adam, what are you doing here, you know, the, but he's your child, yes, but it's that nature, he's, he and she are born with that, but then they follow through quickly. And so, back to the answer to the catechism. It says, our faithful Savior paid for all my sins. Now, don't skip over those words, and especially all my sins. If what Jesus did, which we're about to talk about, didn't pay for all our sin, then we are headed toward eternal damnation. If there's any out there, any sin out there that what he did on the cross did not cover, then you and I are in big trouble because we can't cover a single one of our own sin. It takes him. If it was just a partial payment, we're doomed, and we're without hope. So, 
How was that addressed? Listen to this phrase. A perfect life plus perfect death equals complete payment. I'm going to say it again, then I'm going to ask you to say it with me. A perfect life plus perfect death equals complete payment. Say it with me. Perfect life plus perfect death equals complete payment. That's it right there. That's what it took. All of that. First of all, the perfect life. Hebrews 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. That's why Jesus had to come as a man. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, the incarnation, Him taking on the flesh and then living the life out that we needed to live and we couldn't live it because of our original and actual sin. So he went through life. He faced the kinds of things that we face. But the difference is he didn't sin. And that enabled him to die the death that we deserved to die. So we have the perfect life and a perfect death. First Peter 1.18 The Scripture, all through Scripture, talks about the need for the shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And all of the things we see in the Old Testament that had to do with the shedding of blood were pointing to the cross and to Jesus shedding His blood. 1 Peter 1.18 Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. This is, how, this is where our salvation came from. Verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. That's the perfect life and the perfect death. If Jesus had sinned, then He would have been being punished for His own sin. And so would we have to. And it never would have paid for all of our sin. But He didn't sin. So He was qualified to represent His people. And shed his blood for his people. Now, here's the essential part. Jesus' death on the cross was enough. Did you catch what we sang a moment ago? hope I can find it. It was my sin that held him there on the cross until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. That was his dying breath. It's finished. 
It's completed. It's paid for. That's what that phrase meant. So it was complete payment. All sin, past, present, and future. If we walk, 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus. His Son cleanses us from all sin. Past, present, and future. That is grace, and that's the gospel. Now, let's make the distinction between religion and the gospel, between religion and Christianity, in virtually all world religions, the thrust is what we must do to work our way to God. It's always about us. What we must do to pay for our sin, to atone, to do penance. What work we must do, what pilgrimage we must make, in other words, how we work our way to God. That's what world religions teach us. And that's why the gospel is good news. Because it's about how Jesus did everything necessary for us. Everything necessary for our salvation. He died on the cross to pay for our sin so that we don't have to pay for our own sin because it's already paid. I was sitting in uh, a restaurant meeting with uh, a couple of other pastors because that's what we do all week. I mean, we only... <laughs> work an hour a week, you know how it is, so you've got to fill up the week. So we're meeting, killing time. And we had, we'd had lunch. I told uh, the server that uh, I was ready for the check. And she said, oh, that's already been taken care of. And I said, really? And uh, I said, by who? And she pointed over to a booth where one of our church members was sitting. In fact, by the way, one of our finest church members... <laughs> What an encouragement it was. And he told me later, he was just glad, glad to do it. But I didn't ask for it, didn't deserve it, didn't expect it. And, and, and that's just a tiny, tiny, tiny picture of what grace is. So, what does this mean? goes on and says, and has set me free from all the power of the devil. Now again, don't forget, we're not just talking theology, we're talking about application in our lives. How these doctrines bring us comfort. What's your only comfort in life and death? So here's what it means to us. If we are free in that way, 
what it means for those who are trusting in Christ alone is we are free not to sin. That might sound like a strange way to put it, so let me explain. We are free not to sin. John 8, verse 34, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Here's the progression. Before we are in Christ, we have to live according to our nature. And our nature is a sin nature. So we don't have any choice before we are in Christ. We have to sin. And that's because we will live according to our nature, whatever our nature is. Now, we come to Christ. He gives us a new heart. And He gives us a new nature. And that's what this is talking about. We who are in Christ, trusting in Him alone for our eternal life, have been given a new heart, and we don't have to sin any longer. Now, that doesn't mean we won't sin. All of us do. But when we sin, we are going against our nature. It's out of whack. And so, we go to Him and ask forgiveness. So that technically speaking, instead of just you know, identifying ourselves as, well, I'm, I'm just a sinner, that's why I sin. No, not if you're in Christ. You are a redeemed person who sins. Your nature is not that of a sinner. And so we are free according to the Word of God here. But here's, here's the great thing, and this isn't particularly there, but talking about the progression, you have the before Christ, you have in Christ. When we're glorified, when either Jesus comes or, or when we take our last breath and we're in His presence, we will not be free to sin. We won't have to worry about it any longer. We won't be asking forgiveness because we will be perfectly glorified and we won't have that freedom anymore, which is a freedom we don't want. So, in terms of our future glory and what's true presently, remember, this is about our comfort. We are reconciled to God, Romans 5.10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. Here's why that should be comforting. If we're in Christ, we can honestly say, whatever is going on in my life, whether it is grief or loss or stress or broken relationships or pressures or fear, whatever is going on in my life, 
if I am in Christ, I have peace with God. That should make all of those other things look different. It doesn't necessarily change them. But it should make all of them different because we are at peace with our Creator in Jesus Christ. And then the third benefit that should bring us comfort is freedom from all the power of the devil. 1 John 3.8 Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil's been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Hebrews 2.14 Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through his death, this is Jesus, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That's the devil. So here's the point going back to last week. You belong to Christ if you're trusting in him alone for your eternal life. Everyone either belongs to Christ or you belong to Satan. There's no in-between. So where's the comfort? You are under the power of the devil or you are under the power of the one who is greater than the devil. And that's Christ. Does that bring comfort? That's why not being your own is good news. I told you a minute ago about uh, encouragement from someone paying for a meal. It's a good feeling. But even that's way too small for us to think about. Instead, picture this. Imagine that You've had some medical issues. And you have built up hundreds of thousands of dollars that you owe. And suppose on top of that, you have a big mortgage. You have two cars that you owe a great deal on. And suppose on top of that, you had a business loan that you had to pay that was huge. If all that were called, be no way you couldn't pay even a single month of it. Now suppose someone came to you and said, I am going to pay those hospital bills and I'm going to pay off your mortgage and your cars and your business loan and I am going to build you a home that you can live on in the rest of your life and every year I will pay all of your taxes but then what you found out as they willingly did that and they never wanted you to repay them and you couldn't have anyway. But you find out that 
it cost them everything in order to do that. Now multiply that. Would you be grateful to them? Of course. Would you think you meant a lot to them? Of course. Now multiply what you've received and what you owe and what it cost Jesus. Multiply that by an infinite amount. Because what all of us owe, we could never pay. And yet he paid. But it cost him everything. There you have a small picture of our value to Christ. That's why it should be a comfort to us in life and death on the cross as he finished his work you were in his mind. Take comfort in that. Let's bow together. Lord, for those who are striving to try somehow to repay you, will you free them up from that? To realize that you can't repay grace, infinite grace. For those that are wondering if maybe they've been too bad for what you did on the cross to cover them, will you destroy that thought? Remind all of us of your perfect life that is of infinite worth and help us to rejoice in you and take comfort, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.